How about you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness is a theme uh, in uh, like throughout First and Second Timothy, it's just a, it's a really important uh, thing to him, and should be to us as well. And I would like to zero in on that phrase in verse seven, where he says, "Train yourself for godliness." The last several uh, or the last few months, I guess, between Sunday nights and community groups, we've kind of been churning up some of these kinds of ideas. And I guess you could put it all under this, this banner of what we call spiritual disciplines. And I even had people ask me, you know, like, hey, you know, what's the, what's, what spiritual discipline are you teaching on next week? You know, and I'm like, I, well, it's not really a series on spiritual disciplines. We're just looking at the book of Acts, you know, the beginning of the church and kind of pulling out some qualities that are there. So I never thought of it as a spiritual disciplines preaching series. But I guess it kind of was because we covered fasting, prayer, the Bible, uh, like financial stewardship, generosity, hospitality. We covered all these things that would be under this banner of spiritual discipline. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess it was inadvertently a series on that, I guess. And in community groups, we've talked about, like we went through the parable of the sower and talked about taking an active role in your own spiritual growth. And that discussion leads naturally to talking about what would be, what would be called spiritual disciplines. Um, in our community groups, we talk about, we spend you know, a third of our time or so talking about the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we just kind of give updates on what that has been like. And most of the time, the answer goes towards something that would be in this category of spiritual disciplines because, you know... That's, we kind of tie all that together. and um, The thing is, when, when I say the word spiritual disciplines, there's probably a, just a wide variety of things that come to mind. Some, some of us hear the word discipline, and we like our minds go to a negative place. Like I, when I was a kid, I was thinking about this the other day. When I was a kid, we would get our report cards. I don't know if they still do report cards or not. I don't know anything about kids nowadays. But back in my day, they gave you a report card. like They put it in your hand, you know. And at Bellingrath Elementary, it came in this, like, probably like a half, half sheet size, like, cardstock, like, folder thing. And it had, like, the McDonald's logo on it. And if you had a certain combination of grades, you could take that to McDonald's and they'll give you, like, a free french fry or something. I don't really know. Um, and the report card would be stuffed down in there and it was pink. So you had this yellow card and this pink report card there. And we got them like every nine weeks or every six weeks or something like that. And they would give it to you, and you had to take it home. And it was such a nerve-wracking thing because here the teacher is, comes around, hands everything, and you get that. I can just, that image just burned in me, like being handed this thing. It's like, hey, uh, here's an assessment of you, third grader, you know. 
And uh, so, of course, you would, like, take it out and find out what your grades were like. And um, there were, within each subject, there would be, like, all these, like, subcategories. And the teacher could, could put X's or whatever to indicate certain things. And most of them I, I definitely didn't understand. But I would notice there were, like, these, like, things. And one of them, it said, practices self-discipline. And every single time, I got an X in that. Now, X to me means wrong. Um, and I didn't know what self-discipline was, but I knew what discipline was. You know, Discipline was, you went to the principal, and back then, they would whip you with a paddle. Because I had friends who would come back from the principal having just been whipped with a paddle, and I made up my mind that was never going to happen to me. And, uh, and it didn't, actually, so that was good. Uh, so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, discipline is when you're in trouble. My teacher says that I practice self-discipline. I don't know what that means, but it must be negative. And I was ashamed of it for the longest time until I got a little older and realized that self-discipline is a good thing. And my teachers thought I practiced it. I don't know what that even means, but they thought that I practiced it. So here I was thinking I was going to get in trouble for this thing every six weeks for years. Uh, it turns out it was, they were trying to affirm me, I guess. I don't know. Um, and so discipline for some of us is this negative thing. There are principals at high schools, and that's all they do is discipline. And they only deal with the kids that are in trouble, you know. So sometimes discipline has this negative tone to it. Sometimes discipline has a, uh, it's about, like, like routine and, like, self-control. And it's about, like, someone who, oh, he has a lot of discipline. You know, he's very disciplined in his studies, very disciplined in working out, that kind of stuff. It means they're religious, they're consistent, it's, you know, whatever. Uh, and so... There's, kind of, there's maybe those two extremes. One, discipline means you're in trouble. You, either you did something or you know, whatever. It has something to do with being punished. Maybe the other extreme is it's about like being really regimented and committed and whatever. Maybe there's different things along the way. But you throw the word spiritual in there and it gets kind of weird. Because sometimes spiritual disciplines, people think of like it's in that behavior modification kind of camp where you're like, are these the things I'm either doing or not doing that God is either pleased with or displeased with? You know, so it's a little bit about like keeping the rules, keeping in line, uh, a checklist of things. You know, I I did this this week. You know, so like I had I had five quiet times this week. Therefore, I am you know this amount of holy or whatever. And um, or it's kind of on the other side where it's really it's a, it is about keeping rules. And it's like yes, I did. You know. Six quiet times in one day, and I caught up, you know, on whatever, my quota for the week. And it's like you kind of feel like you're trying to accomplish something. And spiritual disciplines can easily be treated the same way as disciplines regarding dieting or working out or learning a language or learning a new skill or learning to play a musical instrument. Where uh, it, it has this, uh, it's just a part of rhythm of life, and this is just kind of what you do. And sometimes, if you come into your community group, let's say, and the question is, uh, how, how have you and Jesus been, what's your interaction with the Lord been like lately? If your answer is like, well, I had not had many quiet times lately. I'm sorry about that. Or your answer is like, man, my, like, I did awesome this week at having my quiet times. Or, I prayed a lot this week, or I prayed a little bit this week, or not as much as usual. Or, I prayed more than that person did, obviously, but not, you know, maybe not as much as this guy over here, that kind of thing. 
if spiritual disciplines are not properly understood, they can land in all these different wrong places. And I think that it can easily become one of those terms that we assume everybody knows what, knows what that means and is on the same page, when really we just need someone to have the courage to raise their hand and be like, hey, I don't really know what this means, and I think it's pretty important. You know, um, When I was in seminary, my, my, remember my, one of my first few days there, I'm in this lecture, and I'm already in over my head. I can just tell right away, like, this is, this is a little beyond me. And someone made a statement that was like, uh, let make sure I get it right. Without, without exegesis, there can be no hermeneutic. Yeah. And someone over here is like, amen, brother. And they're all like, yeah, all right, cheering it on. And I'm sitting there like, I know what 20% of those words even mean in that sentence, you know. I didn't have the courage to be like, okay, can we define this? Because I just felt like, well, I guess, I guess it's stuff I should know, and because I don't, I guess I'm inferior. And I, I didn't have the courage. I didn't you know what was going on. And everybody else acted like they knew it too, but I wasn't the only one in that room, didn't know what those words meant. So we're gonna, I'm going to raise my hand on behalf of the room tonight and say, can we define spiritual disciplines a little bit? Can we get on the same page about what this means? Can we make sure that we understand it and that we don't have a wrong uh, swing in one way or the other? Okay, so um, we're going to put this, this definition up on the board. The board. Jeez, what is wrong with me tonight? Uh, we're going to put this up on the screen. Why that? So if you're a note taker, I'll give you a second to write it down. This is going to be a working definition. It is by no means perfect or uh, whatever. But it will get the job done for tonight. So what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is I'm going to just kind of break this down into phrases... And kind of see what lies beneath each, each of these things so that we kind of are on the same page about what the disciplines are. Now, if you are a frantic note taker, you might want to just put the pen down a little bit and listen. Um, this might be one of those times. Now, some people, the only way they could pay attention at all is to take notes. So, we won't be judged if you're like frantically writing things or whatever. However, you just need to know there's, about, there's a lot that's about to come your way. All right? So... For, for tonight, and maybe in the foreseeable future, let's, let's work off of this set of ideas. That spiritual disciplines are following Jesus into his own practices, intentionally placing yourself into the pathway of God's love as a means of training yourself for godliness and growing in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, It's kind of a mouthful, but it's really hard to sum up spiritual disciplines in one thing. Okay? So the first, the first phrase, let's take that first part, following Jesus. I'm, I'm going to reference a lot of general Bible things. So you just need to trust me that it's in there. And if you don't trust me, then I'll sit down with you at some point and prove it to you. But, um, so following Jesus throughout the Gospels, uh, this is the invitation that Jesus is, is offering to those, who would, um, to those who would take him up on it. It says, come after me, follow, follow me. 
And I've talked about this many times, but in the first century, that it meant that you would follow him around as a rabbi and you would learn from him. Um, it was an invitation into a relationship. And that's going to be, the, for me, the driving point tonight, um, is spiritual disciplines are relational. They're not mechanical, they're relational. So we are following Jesus into his own practices. He says, come, out, like, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Um, he says, if anyone who wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. When he goes after his disciples, he says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. This following idea like, means come and like, live life with me, watch me, hear me, imitate me. Ask me questions. Let's have a dialogue. But it it is an invitation into a relationship. And we see it all throughout the New Testament. Um, The disciplines can become mechanical and lifeless if we vacuum the relationship out of them. If there is not a relationship in place, um, these are just things that you're doing. And a lot of times we miss the beauty of what is before us. And don't, don't get ahead of, of things. Let's, let's maybe savor this point here just for a second. That Jesus invites us into this real interactive relationship with him. And everything that comes for the rest of my talk here tonight about the disciplines are all ways where that relationship is nurtured, grown, it's deepened, it becomes real. You may not look at fasting as beautiful. You might not look at solitude or any of the other things that we're going to talk about. You might not look at the Bible, an open Bible, sitting on you, uh, sitting in front of you on the bed as like this beautiful invitation. But I think Jesus wants us to learn to see it that way because that's how he intends it. We're following Jesus, we're following our rabbi, and this imitation develops these new rhythms in us, these new habits that we develop. And that was a part of why it, it wasn't, like, learning from a rabbi wasn't like, hey, come here, come here, come to these lectures that I'm offering once, you know, once a week, and you can learn from me that way. I was like, no, you really have to follow me around. You really have to learn to talk like I do and act like I do and handle people like I do and um, retreat the way that I do and pray the way that I do. And, like, you, you have to watch it and, and try it yourself. And um, you have to even like walk like me. Like it was like all those kinds of things. It had to be done in a relationship. It couldn't be lectured about. It's the same way you don't learn a language just by like... Um, like going to hear someone talk about how beautiful German is. It's like, wow, that's really cool. Or you don't, you don't sit there and watch um, like movies in German, and then you like, all of a sudden I know the language. It's like, no, you want to learn the language, you immerse yourself in the culture, and you like start trying it. And you, you meet people who speak German, and it will help you, and they, they you know, can train you little by little by little. Oh, man. What is going on tonight? My goodness. (laughs) 
Schoon, are you jealous? Is that what's going on? Are you sabotaging it? All right. So we're following Jesus. The next part, we're following Jesus into his own practices. Okay? So let's not miss this part either. We see Jesus doing the very things that, um, that we're about to talk about. We see these in the life of Christ over and over and over again. Um, in, in the book of Mark, okay, you just need to trust me. These are just some of the things we see. We see Jesus fasting. We see a lot of prayer. We see a lot of solitude. Like he's constantly like just disappearing, you know, like getting off alone by himself. We see silence. We see a grasp of the scripture, both like memorized and applied. Uh, we see him serving people. We see generosity. We see him sharing his life in community. We see all these things. So God is not inviting us into something that he has never done. He's inviting us into the same practices that his son practiced while he was on the earth. We follow him into these practices and activities that he engaged in to nurture his own relationship with the Father. In the last couple of weeks, there's been, I know there was one community group discussion that people really liked, and it was about the humanity of Jesus headed into, you know, the um, Easter weekend and everything, and and thinking about like how like Jesus was like 100% human person was really beneficial. It was beneficial to me, and I know that a lot, I just that was one of the one of the things I heard a lot, you know. And so Jesus, if he practiced solitude and prayer and silence, and that was important to his relationship with the Father. Do you think that maybe, maybe we should follow him into that practice? Like, if it was good for him, why would it not be good for us? I, I read a lot of books this week, and one of, one of the people said, you know, if, if, Jesus, if, if it was good for Jesus to have 40 days in the desert fasting and praying by himself, and, uh, then maybe I, maybe I could use two or three. You know? So we're following into these rhythms that he had. Um, you remember in Gethsemane when he, um, it's like it's before Jesus is arrested and he's praying and he asks the disciples to stay awake with him and he goes over and he prays and he comes back and they're all asleep, you know. And he has this brilliant statement, you know, where he, oh, he has a lot of brilliant statements, but one of them would be, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is, what? Weak. Do you, can you identify with that at all? Your spirit, like, like the real you, like you want so badly to be a person who, who is immersed in the word and a deep prayer warrior and someone who knows how to practice Sabbath and solitude, someone who serves just so generously. You want to be a cheerful giver who loves putting that check over there or using the Dwala app or whatever it is. You want to be, that's what you want to be. Your spirit is so willing in the flesh. Man, sometimes it's hard to get out of bed. You know, it's hard to get up early. It's hard to, to say no to some things. It's hard to carve out that space and that time. It's hard to, to humble yourself and say, I don't, I don't know where to start in the Bible. Or it's, it's hard to humble yourself to go to someone who's, who you know has a deep prayer life 
and say, hey, can you teach me some stuff, you know? The spirit, is, the spirit is willing, the flesh is very weak. So these are activities that, that like help the flesh catch up with the spirit in you. We talk a lot about transformation being, it's like in, inside out, you know. You're transformed by the renewal of your mind and this is, this, your heart is new and your mind is being rene- refreshed and that over time like changes, it works from the from the inside out, you know, and your, your behaviors change over time and those kinds of things. But with the disciplines, it's, it's kind of the opposite a little bit, if you think about it. With the disciplines, it's like, I don't, you're saying, like, I don't care that my, that my flesh is weak. I'm going to, like, take control of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice these things that Jesus practiced. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have some outside-in impact, so in other words, you don't have to go through your life living with a really strong spirit and a really weak flesh. That Jesus has these practices that he invites us into for these kind of outside-in, like, transformational catalysts to really, I don't know, bring about that change. So when the, here's the, and, and I guess that's, that's like a major thing, though. When the external act becomes the focus, that's when things get all crazy, when it's just about, like, did I, did I do this or not do this? Did I pray today? Did I, was I in the Word today? Did I, you know, whatever it was. When that becomes the focus, instead of the internal change, which I'm going to talk about in a second, um, you know what happens? You fail. You absolutely fail. And we, well, sorry, we've probably all been there at some point. Where you're not, it's not about like I want to, I want to get into the word because that is how, like, because God uses that to transform me and do all the things that we know he uses it for. When it's like, I want to get in the word because I want to be a person of the word. And this is what good Christian people do, is they have, you know, multiple quiet times per day, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, when it becomes just about the act and checking that box off of it, and it has nothing to do with the desire to change it becomes this, uh, this legalistic, keeping the rules kind of thing. And when you fail at that, and you will, um, it devastates you. And it becomes kind of that like, oh man, the, well, the, i got to go to the principal's office because he's mad at me. You know? It becomes one of those things where you're like, well, I didn't do enough of this this week, therefore God must be super ticked with me you know, right now. And so you come into community group and you don't want to even answer that question because you're ashamed of yourself because you think Jesus is ashamed of you too and you don't want to confess that or whatever and so you deflect. You're like, oh, well, work's been crazy. You know, that's, your, that's your how are you and Jesus. Like, work's been crazy. Well, that's not an answer to that question. You know, we kind of deflect around it. Are you hem-haw around? Are you, you know, whatever it is. I don't really know what hem-haw even means. but It's like I don't know, but I do know. You know? And so when, that, when the act itself becomes the focus and not the internal change, you just have these religious practices. You have, like, you have that kind of faith where you just got to go check the box and everything will be okay. And none of us, like in our true selves, none of us wants that. But we see it all around us, you know. People who just go to church because it's what you do. It's going through the motions, going through the whatevers. Just so you know, you just want to be absolved of your sins. You want to make sure you and God are okay, I guess. And then, 
but you just want to go do whatever you want with your life. That's when the disciplines become very dangerous because we become deceived into thinking that, that we're just, we do these things just because that's what good Christian folk do. And we're missing the point that Jesus has invited us into a relationship with him. So we have to see these practices for what they are. They are a God-given means to an end. They are not the end in and of themselves. The goal of your time alone with God in the Word is not to have time alone with God in the Word. That's not the end. The end is the relational tie to Christ. The end is that transformation. The the end is the relational stuff. So we have to see it as a vehicle. Okay, but It's not the goal itself. So some of these practices... Uh, a lot of people will split like the disciplines into two categories. One would be things we abstain from, and then others maybe things that we like engage in. You know, so there's some things we don't do, and then some things we do. Uh, what do we abstain from? Well, that would be like fasting, uh, solitude. All right, you abstain from being around a bunch of people like you're by yourself. Uh, silence. You're just abstaining from like the just the chaos of stuff. So you um, maybe you go to a park or you go outside somewhere where like the only thing you're hearing are like n- nature sounds. Like those are you don't want to block those out necessarily. Uh, but you know you turn your phone off and you get away from it. Uh, Sabbath would be another one where we abstain from some things. We we abstain from the things we do the other six days of the week. It's a unique deal. Uh, those would be abstaining disciplines. Um, disciplines where we are engaging, like something that you're actually doing. Prayer would be that. You're, you're intentionally like communicating with God. Uh, time in the scriptures would be there. Worship. Okay, So when we gather together and we are singing, that's, I mean, that's a spiritual discipline that we are practicing individually and corporately at the same time. Um, uh, giving. So when you're, when you're tithing, and I, and I hope that that is, um, you know, I preached on it several weeks ago, and I hope that that's something that's been churning in us. Um, that is a spiritual discipline. That is an act of worship. That's why it's set up over here, and you may see people trickling over at different points um, to come in and, and participate in that way. But it's something that you do uh, as well. Serving people, that's another one. And so you have these, these disciplines, and you know, there, are, there are others, but these are some of the, the real consistent ones that we see in the life of Christ and that we see um, in the New Testament church. So we're following Jesus into the very things that Jesus did. These are the things that helped him nurture his relationship with the Father. And I know that's kind of mind-blowing in a, you know, a little bit. It's like, how, why did he need to nurture that relationship with the Father? He went through a lot when he was here. He went through everything that you and I go through, and yet he never sinned. And so, maybe it had something to do with the fact that these were regular parts of his life. And so, if the sinless one practiced these things, then maybe you and I would be beneficial from following him relationally into these practices. All right? So, look at the next, the next part of the, of the phrase. I mean, of the definition. So, we're following Jesus into his practices... All right, and let me quickly emphasize: they're his practices. Sometimes we think of, well, these are the practices of the church, and they are the practices of the church. These are the practices of the godly. Well, yeah, they are the practices of the godly. Where did the church and the godly get them from? From Jesus. 
And so let's think of these as like his disciplines, his practices. So we follow him into that. And this, this part was maybe the part for me personally that, has, that really stood out the most in preparing for this. Intentionally placing yourself into the pathway of God's love. Intentionally placing yourself into the pathway of God's love. Throughout Jesus' time on earth, we see people making intense efforts to get in His way. Like if Jesus is coming through a town, there are times when people are like fighting to get in His pathway. The blind man named Bartimaeus, he was a beggar, scrapping his way to get into, like literally where Jesus would have to trip over him. Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree so he could see him. Jesus is, is having dinner with folks, and uh, uh, the woman that comes in, and she's like, like um, she's cleaning his feet, and she's weeping, and she's worshiping, and she's thanking him. I mean, one guy was like, hey, Jesus is in that building. Cut a hole in the roof if you have to, but let's get, we got to get to him. So there's, there's something deep and beautiful and really important about placing ourselves in the, in the pathway of Jesus. Like he's going to have to like step over me or step around me or go the other way. But I'm going to get in his pathway. And how am I going to do that? Well, by following him into his practices. These practices are a gift of grace. They're specific, tangible ways that we tap into the grace of God, that awareness of his goodness and grace and his presence. This is why it's not about legalism and keeping the rules and checking that box off or doing something because you're afraid God's going to be mad at you or any of the other things that we come up with. This is why these disciplines are not just religious, going through the motions, stuff that you do. It's because he said, hey, I'm with you always. All right, always. But you want to you be extra aware that I'm with you? You want to be really zoned in to what I'm saying to you? You, wanna, um, you want all the voices that are rolling around in there to like, kind of go away and for my voice to become very clear? Well, follow me into these practices. Follow me into the same ways I nurtured that relationship and that dependence and that obedience See how I entrusted myself to the Father, to the shepherd and overseer of my soul. You do the same things. Follow me into that. Put me in the path of that goodness and that grace. Like put yourself right there, smack down in the middle of it, um, by doing the same things I did, which would be praying and getting off by yourself and um, there being silence and time in the Word and that kind of stuff. So are you? I hope that you're, that you're seeing the difference between legalistic practices that you go through just because that's what good Christian folks do. And the invitation that Jesus extends to us and says, hey, these are ways you can be really dialed in. 
One of the one of the quotes that stands out to me from Dallas Willard this from this week and things I read, he said, he said, you know, even even muddy water gets clear when you let it sit still long enough. I was like, whoa. He says, you want a reason, a reason for solitude, a reason for silence, a reason for the scriptures and prayer. You want a reason to follow Jesus into the desert. How many of you would describe just the chaos of life as it's like you're just in muddy water all the time? And when you go to pray, you're like, there's so much going on in here, I can't figure it out. He's like, yeah, even that muddy water, all that, it'll all settle and become clear. But you've got to be still. You've got to listen. You've got to quit stirring it up. When, when it's legalism that's driving us, it's all about the mechanics and rules and earning grace and staying out of trouble and appeasing God. But when it's a relationship, it's love and transformation and restoration and healing and knowing God. It also says in the beginning of that phrase, uh, intentionally placing yourself into the pathway of God's love. It's not a, an accidental thing. It's not like, oh man, guess what was so crazy? I accidentally was, uh, you know, Completely alone and quiet and praying and reading the word and stuff the other day. I don't know what happened. No, you got to make it. Got to make it happen. It's like you don't magically end up at the gym working out. You don't. All of a sudden, you're like, "There's a guitar in your hand." And you're playing. And you're like, "Oh man, I'm learning to play the guitar." No. There's intentionality behind it. It's not by accident. It's not by shortcut. And you have to want it. And maybe that is the problem. Maybe that's the problem. Because maybe in your most honest place, you're like, I just don't think I want that. Romans 8, 1 John 3, Hebrews 12, 1 Peter 1. There's so many more places that point to the fact that our time on this earth is about holiness and conforming to the image of our Savior in increasing measure, you know. And honestly, why would we not want that? Why would you not, and why would I not want to place myself, like intentionally place myself in the pathway of a loving God whose desire is to shepherd me in perfection with grace and love? Why would I say no to that because I'm too busy? You know, I don't have time for that or Blah, blah, blah. It's not a guilt trip. It's like last, last, like last week with the holiness thing. It's not, this is not here to make us feel bad about ourselves. It's, I think Jesus wants us to see the beautiful invitation in front of us. That God himself says, hey, these practices put you in the pathway of my love and life stops being a mystery the transformation and healing and all the things that you desire, the guidance, all the things that you want are totally possible. I'm with you all the time. And when you're practicing these things, when you're following me into these things, these are really special ways that you're dialed in to my presence and my grace. So don't see it as like, oh, a preacher's beating us over the head about having quiet times and this and this and this. It's not what happens. Just look at, look at what we're invited to. 
Look at the last two, the last two uh, phrases there. So we're following Jesus into his own practices, intentionally placing ourselves in the pathway of God's love as a means of training yourself for godliness. All right. So look again at 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. It says, has nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The word, the, when the word train is used there, it's the same Greek word that we get uh, gymnasium from. So to think of it as like training as in like, Physically training to do something is completely consistent. Um, Dallas Willard, uh, who I reference a lot because he's awesome, um, he defines a discipline, this is any discipline, as an activity within our power, okay, so something we can do, which brings us to a point where we can do what we at present cannot do by direct effort. Now, I had to like diagram a lot of his sentences to like figure out the meaning. But this is basically what he's saying. If you want to be able to do something, but you can't do it right now, you start with what you can do, and you work your way towards it. So if you want to get to where you can bench press your weight, your body weight, all right? uh, maybe you can do that now, but maybe, you, like, but maybe you can't. Maybe that's your goal. So what do you do? Do you start there? Well, no, you fail. So you start with what you can bench press, and you... Like work on that, and you like have a you form a plan for how do I increase my capacity and my strength, working toward that goal. So you start with what you can do, working toward what you hope to be able to do. With us, it's the same thing as with strength training, with learning a language, learning to play an instrument, anything like that. You start with what you can do, working toward what you want to be able to do, so that when you're there, you're doing that thing. It's just very natural. Do you really think that, like LeBron James, do you think playing basketball is hard for LeBron James? It is not hard. Sometimes I'll watch the highlights. I'm like, God, he makes it look so easy. I'm like, oh, yeah, because it is easy for him. Has he worked hard to get there? Well, yeah, but when you're at that level, it's just natural. You watch some guitar player. You watch John Mayer. If you think John Mayer is amazing, it's not hard. He makes those weird faces, and it makes it look like it's hard. (laughs) But that's just, just for our benefit. He ain't struggling at all. So when we watch people's lives and we're like, man, that person is so godly. Like they're just, how do you respond that way? How do you, all these kind of things. Well, it's a matter of training in godliness, like it says in 1 Timothy. So... Time in the Word, time in prayer, time in solitude, all those things. It's like it's going to the gym, but it's going to the gym for these like deep, eternal, Christ-like, transformational things. It's godliness. So when we come together in here and we're in the Word and we're worshiping and stuff, we're tra- being trained in godliness. This is not just the routines of the church. Community group, it's the same thing. Your time by yourself with God, it's the same thing. We're going to the gym, but it's it's the soul, Jim, you know. And the outward working of all those things is that's when that transformation comes. Last thing, Second Peter 3. You don't need to turn to it. 
the last phrase is uh, growing in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it comes from 2 Peter 3, uh, 17 and 18. Let me read them to you. It says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That we follow Jesus into these practices and we put ourselves in the pathway of His love as a means of training ourselves in godliness and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. It's this relationship again. It's sitting before Him. It's learning about Him, but not learning about Him from a like from some like secondary source. It's learning about Him from Him and through Him and for Him and becoming like Him by His own training. It's how we personally know the one who saved us and watches over us. It's how he helps us put off the old man and learn to live as the new man. It's how he helps us return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. It's not about earning favor from him. It's about learning more and more about the favor that's already ours because we're his. The natural rhythm of abiding and bearing fruit that comes from this. So we shouldn't expect to get here through inaction. That's one of the most frustrating things to me, about me. is how often I expect just things to just happen because they should just happen. But there is a part of me that really thinks that inaction is going to lead to transformation. That's not how it works. It's like, no, you put your hand to the plow and you, you, you make efforts. Not, not in a way that's trying to earn something, but in a way that is... Like saying, like, no, I'm trusting that by engaging in these practices, God's going to infuse my efforts with power, and all these amazing things are going to happen. You need a plan. I need a plan. What better plan than to follow Jesus into his own plan? So, let's look at that definition one last time. I know I've talked a lot, but there's a lot. This is, this is a big deal. So when we, when we hear the word spiritual disciplines, we hear that phrase, there's more than one word, when we hear that phrase and we hear that idea and people are talking about the disciplines, the disciplines, the disciplines, we're listening for relationship, we're listening for a desire to be transformed, we're listening for training, we're listening for growing in grace, we're listening to make sure that it's not about just trying to fulfill a quota, or going through the religious motions. We're listening for, are we following Jesus into his practices? Are we intentionally placing ourselves in the pathway of his love so that we are trained in godliness and growing in grace and knowledge of the one who saved us? I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking, when I'm thinking about it correctly, I want it so badly. Maybe it'll be different on Thursday afternoon. I don't know. But I I believe it begins with him teaching us how to think correctly about this. So I don't know where where this meets meets you. I know I say that a lot. That's the truth. That's why I say it a lot. I don't know.
But I hope that maybe we have a clear picture of what Jesus is saying. Hey, come follow me. Come deny yourself. Take up your cross every day. Follow me. Exactly what that means. And maybe we're a little more inclined to say yes when we realize the beauty of the disciplines in this way. So let's, uh, let's stand together. And we're going we're gonna to do what we typically do. We're going to engage in one of these disciplines. And we're going to sing some songs, some songs that we know. And uh, I would like for you to maybe not get caught up in what's happening after this. Uh, or, you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe we can think about what we're about to do. And, like, under this same banner... Maybe we follow Jesus into this practice of responding to the goodness of God. Maybe we can see this time of singing not as, well, this is what we do every week, you know. It's like, no, now we're going to place ourselves in the pathway of God's love. That maybe singing together is training us in godliness. Maybe this sanctuary room is really just a gym of some sort. And maybe through these songs that we've sung a bunch, maybe we learn something about his grace and who he is. So, how about you close your eyes, you bow your heads, and you think about that. I'm going to put the bass on. <laughs> and we're just going to do this, so we're going to entrust ourselves to him in these ways. <laughs>